Welcome. You're listening to Back Talk Doc, where you'll find answers to some of the most common questions about back pain and spine health. Brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, where providing personalized, highly skilled, and compassionate spine care has been our specialty for over 75 years. And now, it's time to understand the cause of back pain and learn about options to get you back on track. Here's your Back Talk Doc, Dr. Sanjeev Lakia. Welcome to episode four of Back Talk Doc. Again, I am your host, Dr. Sanjeev Lakia. I'm a board-certified specialist in physical medicine and rehabilitation, and we're often referred to as physiatrists. For those not familiar with our medical specialty, physiatry is a non-surgical field, a hybrid of sorts between neurology and orthopedics. In my day-to-day practice at Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, I focus most of my clinical time on the evaluation and treatment of spine disorders, mostly the neck and low back, along with orthopedic assessments. Additionally, as an osteopathic physician with a background in integrative medicine, I have a passion for promoting health and wellness in my patient population. It is my goal that this podcast helps to break down complex spine issues into simplistic terms that are easy for you to understand, and I hope this information arms you so that when you go in to see your doctor to discuss your back issues, you have a better understanding about what's going on. And hopefully this can assist you in your decision-making process. In today's episode, I want to tackle an issue that I see daily in the office, and that is workplace back injuries. If you're listening today, there's a high probability that you or someone you know has missed time from work in the last year due to a low back injury. On this episode, we'll start by breaking down some very important statistics with regards to workplace back injuries, just to set the background for you and then transition towards strategies to help you prevent injuring yourself at work. So let's get right into it today. Thank you again for listening. And let's get going with the important statistics surrounding back injuries at work. Number one, about 80% of adults are estimated to experience a back injury at some point in their lifetime. So that's a staggering statistic. And it's what really drives our business at Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates and what makes this topic relevant to you today. More than 1 million back injuries are sustained in the workplace every year, and 80% of these injuries are associated with manual materials handling tasks. And I will define that as lifting, bending, pushing, and pulling. Six occupations account for more than a quarter of the ergonomic back injuries, with tractor-trailer truck drivers suffering the most. And let me list for you some occupations that have the highest potential for back injury at work. Number one, as I mentioned, is heavy and tractor-trailer truck drivers. Number two, laborers and freight workers. Number three, stock and material movers. Number four, nursing assistants. Number five, janitors and cleaners. And six on the list is registered nurses. So for all you nurses out there that I work with, you're probably nodding your head as it's a full contact sport. And we'll, we'll talk a little more about why that is. And number seven is maintenance and repair workers. So that's, that's quite a list of occupations. All of those have in common that if you're in that field or occupation, you're, you're largely making your money through your effort, your labor, and your, your sweat equity. And learning how to do that safely is going to be key. And we're going to review that shortly. Back injuries are the most common reason for non-attendance in the general workforce after the common cold. That really translates for employers into missed time from work, and it's quite costly. This is why at Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, we're often approached by large employers in the community to develop programs to help reduce their costs related to spine injuries. 
And you know, building on that, low back pain is the single leading cause of disability worldwide. Those that suffer back injuries often average about 12 days of missed time off of work before they can get back to work. And I would say that number fluctuates significantly. Simple lumbar strains typically result within two to six weeks, but lumbar disc herniations, bulges, pinched nerves, I've seen this often require weeks, if not months, before you can get back to full functional status and return to work at a full duty status. Additionally, workers in the healthcare industry sustain four and a half times more overexertion injuries than any other type of worker. This includes nurses, this includes patient transporters, phlebotomists, and I would really break that down more into the hospital environment, but also in the outpatient clinics. There's quite a lot of bending, lifting, and twisting. Even the simple tasks such as checking a blood pressure can require an awkward position for you if you're not doing it correctly that can strain your low back. Work-related back injuries and illnesses are caused predominantly by lifting of materials, sudden movements, whole body vibrations, lifting and twisting at the same time, or bending over for prolonged periods of time and even repetitively throughout the day. This all translates into big money. More than $50 billion is spent each year trying to treat workplace back injuries. So I hope that provides a little bit of a background with regards to how significant this problem is in our country and how important it is that you learn proper workplace ergonomic techniques, strategies to protect your back throughout your work day. And we're going to jump right into those strategies shortly after this. In today's Health Matters segment, I'd like to discuss a website that I find to be very useful in my day-to-day practice. The website's called consumerlabs.com. I'll frequently be approached by patients when they come in with a grocery bag full of supplements, and I'm asked how to tell if these supplements are any good. It's a good question. The nutritional supplement industry in this country is a multi-billion dollar industry, and while there are some regulations that surround it, I like to consider it the wild, wild west. When you go out to the grocery store, the health food store, or the pharmacy, and you pick up a bottle of vitamin D or some other herb or supplement, how do you really know that what's on the label is in the bottle? Let me give you a little background, though, on the current state of affairs with respect to regulation of the nutritional supplement industry. They are regulated to some degree by the FDA, and the FDA really defines supplements as an addition to your food and your diet. And supplements are meant to be in addition to your diet, not a primary means of obtaining your nutrition. And they are regulated. The Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994 defines supplements as a subset of food. So they're regulated as such. And as is the case with foods, the FDA regulates the type of ingredients allowed in dietary supplements and the types of claims that can be made about an ingredient or product. The FDA also has detailed requirements for the labeling of dietary supplements, such as nutritional labeling, labeling the allergens, amongst other things. And while dietary supplement manufacturers must ensure that their products are safe prior to marketing, the FDA also has several post-marketing responsibilities to ensure the safety of dietary supplements. Among these is the enforcement of the final rule of dietary supplement current good manufacturing practices that was released in 2007 and really became effective in 2010. The purpose of this is to establish uniform standards needed to ensure quality throughout the manufacturing, packaging, 
labeling, and storing of dietary supplement products. So there is some regulation in place, but the enforcement of it is questionable at best, and it leaves the average individual really to try and figure some things out for themselves. And that's where this website, consumerlabs.com, comes into place. And I've been using this off and on for about 10 years, and the company has been in existence for about 20 years. And really what it is, is an independent third-party company that looks at supplement products across the board and evaluates them for several things, such as purity and verification that the strength of the product on the label is actually the strength in the bottle. And this is a fantastic service for the average individual. And you can go online and subscribe, become a member, and you'll receive newsletters. You'll receive updated evaluations of all the different supplements on the market. Quality issues such as the labeled amount, purity. Additionally, they look at the ability of a supplement to break apart for absorption once it enters your gastrointestinal tract. This is excellent information to have when you're trying to evaluate the effectiveness of your supplements in your cabinet. How do they do this? Well, they use various chemical processes such as gas chromatography. They also use liquid chromatography and other techniques in the lab to evaluate products and determine if what the company states about the product is actually true. So let me give you an example. On their website currently, they do a breakdown of vitamin D and there's hundreds of vitamin D products on the market. And they actually found a couple of brands that did not produce the results they're advertising. One in particular that I found surprising was the Thorn Basic Bone Nutrients product. Now, Thorn is a well-known supplement company that has a tremendous reputation and is used across multiple organizations, particularly the Institute for Functional Medicine. Many doctors in that organization recommend Thorn products, and I myself have used and prescribed Thorn products. I consider Thorn to be a highly reputable company. However, an evaluation of the Thorn Basic Bone Nutrients product determined that it contained only 69.7% of its claimed amount of calcium and vitamin D. So on the bottle is 500 international units of vitamin D, but they only found roughly 350 international units. And it only had about 2.2% of its vitamin K, which is quite disappointing because the vitamin K in the product is essential to the absorption and the utilization of the vitamin D. How would you know? It's a good company, excellent reputation. I think you need to arm yourself with more information. So if you are using supplements in any capacity, whether it's to support your joints or your bone health or your spine health, take a look at consumerlab.com and we'll put a link to this company in the show notes. It's probably well worth the membership. A typical bottle of a supplement can range anywhere from 20 to 50 bucks a month, if not more. So spending about 20 to $25 a month to have the ability to sort of audit what's in your cabinet is well worth the money. Let's dive back now into our topic today regarding workplace back injuries. I have briefly outlined some very important statistics to really establish how this is a major problem in this country. But let's get into some information that can help you prevent the injury. Number one, I think the first thing you can consider if you have an occupation that puts your back under a lot of stress is to check your posture. And the posture can include multiple areas. You want to look at your head and neck position, your sitting posture, your standing posture, as well as your posture when you're at a computer workstation. The sitting posture in general, you want to keep your head balanced and naturally relaxed over your shoulders. 
You want to keep your shoulders slightly retracted and your elbows at about a 90 degree position. You want to sit back in your chair for support and if possible, have an ergonomic work chair. You want to make sure your feet are settled on the ground. Try not to cross your legs or ankles and just sit in a relaxed position. If you need to, you can prop your foot up on a stool in front of you if that alleviates some tension on your low back. Standing posture is quite similar. If you're working at a counter and doing repetitive tasks, one tip I like to share with patients is keep a stool in front of you. You can alternate putting your foot up on the stool, and that also alleviates some pressure on your lumbosacral spine and your lumbar discs. Another strategy, in addition to maintaining a neutral posture, is to stretch. There's good data that workplace programs that involve pre-work stretching help prevent injury. And the stretches don't have to be complicated. Simple stretches such as knee to the chest, gentle body twists, hamstring stretches, all of these can be done before you begin your shift just to provide some circulation and stretch the muscles, tendons, ligaments, and fascia. Now, there are some companies that have looked at this research and invested in formal programs, but you don't really need to have that available to take advantage. I always recommend start out in the morning, part of your morning routine, get the blood flowing. Start with a little bit of light cardio work, whether it's a brisk walk, jumping on a fitness trampoline, or using an elliptical machine, and then follow this with a gentle stretching program. In my book, Back Talk, I do reference a couple of home DVD programs that can be useful. One of them is a yoga program, and the other one is a Pilates program. So you're welcome to check those out. If you go to the website, backtalk.com, you could pick up the book, and it has a lot of good resources that you can utilize. You can stretch throughout the day as well. Even on the course of my workday, if I'm seeing 20 to 30 patients per day, I'll try and stretch about every hour or so. And that can involve just some basic hamstring stretches. And dynamic stretches are more effective in this manner and reduce your risk of injury. A dynamic stretch is one where you're stretching a muscle or tendon while you're moving versus a static stretch where you're laying on the ground. So an example of a dynamic stretch can be in a standing position, bring the knee to the chest and you can alternate this both legs. You can also do dynamic hamstring stretches and dynamic spine twists. I'll put some video links in the show notes to give you an example if you want to try this during your workday. It's always good to ask questions though before you go into a situation where you know you're at risk for injuring your back. For example, if you have to lift something real heavy or something that just seems dangerous. The University of Virginia has a real nice ergonomics questionnaire on their website and we'll link to this in the show notes. I want to go through some of these questions with you because I think you'll find them useful. Number one, you want to assess your situation at work and ask yourself the following questions. Is the load too big, too bulky, or too heavy? And common sense can apply here. Typically, if it's more than a third of your body weight, it's probably time to ask for help. Also ask yourself, can you slide it instead of lifting it? And remember, it's always better to push an object than it is to pull an object. Another great question, is the load height located inside your safe lifting zone? So what's the safe lifting zone? The safe lifting zone is between your knees and shoulders. If the load is below knee level, bend your knees and lift with your legs. If the load is above your shoulders, use a stool or ladder or ask for help. Better yet, go ahead and rearrange the contents on the shelves so that the heavier and more frequently needed items are placed on the mid-level shelves. And if it's just too, too heavy, ask a coworker for assistance. If it looks like you're going to have to bend and twist your body to reach the object, you should probably readjust the object or your position before you do this. Try and eliminate that if possible. Do you need equipment to help move the object? Hand trucks, forklifts, dollies, all of these should be available for your use. 
and they use leverage, reduce the strain on your body, and prevent injury. Again, have you stretched your muscles or warmed up before you lift? Definitely do this every day if you can. I often hear in the office, workers talk about slips and falls when they're lifting heavy objects, so make sure you have slip-resistant shoes on. Another thing is, clear your pathway before you move an item. It doesn't do you any good to try and lift an object, and once you have it engaged correctly, realize that you have a box or something else in your way, which will require you to put the object back down and increase your risk for injury. A few more tips here that you might find useful. When you do lift, remember, plant your feet firmly, get a stable base, bend at your knees, not your waist, tighten your abdominal muscles to support your spine, get a good grip and use both the hands, and keep the load close to your body. This is a very important strategy. I often share this strategy with grandmothers who come in who injure their back lifting up their grandkids. Whatever you're lifting, it's better to bring this close to your body than reach far away. That reduces the lower arm and reduces the stress and strain across your spine. Our physical therapy department always emphasizes to our patients to lift with your legs, not with your arms and back. And try and keep a good neutral position. Keep your back upright. If you can, encourage a slight anterior pelvic tilt. It's going to protect your spine. That simply means rotating your hips a little bit forward, increasing slightly the arch in your back. This will reduce the flexion and the compression of your lumbar disc and reduce your risk of herniation. Always, always, always remember to breathe when you're lifting heavy objects. If it requires you to hold your breath, then it's probably too heavy and you probably need to get help. A couple things to remember as well that you shouldn't be doing. Don't bend over and lift from the floor if you can avoid it. Try not to lift and twist at the same time. That is a sure recipe for herniating a disc. Don't try and lift an object with one hand. And don't lift while you're reaching or stretching. Don't hold your breath while you're lifting as well. That increases the intrathoracic pressure and can cause increased strain across your low back. And try not to lift from an uncomfortable posture. Get yourself comfortable before you engage added force. So I hope you found these tips helpful. The best strategy for assessing and evaluating back injuries in the workplace is to prevent them up front. Remember, working safely means using common sense. Make sure you have correct ergonomics if you're at the computer workstation, but also when you're lifting. Stay physically fit at home. I can't emphasize how critical it is to make sure you're staying well hydrated, eating an anti-inflammatory diet, and getting enough sleep. All of these will prevent your risk of injury and keep you out of the doctor's office and hopefully keep you pain-free. Thank you for listening to this episode of Back Talk Doc, brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, with offices in North and South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Lockia and treatment options for back issues, go to backtalkdoc.com. We look forward to having you join us for more insights about back pain and spine health on the next episode of Back Talk Doc. Additional information is also available at carolinaneurosurgery.com.